got to hold and give and do it at the right time and the right time is now to do a podcast about the football i realize i've left my glasses on which i don't normally do for this podcast but in for a penny in for a pound eh i don't know what that means in that context but there we go jack atkins we we love flying by the seat of our pants here but uh that was some fantastic mc and we could put you in the cell tent at leeds with that kind of that kind of improvisation. I don't think so. Leave that to Tiesto and other people like that. <laughs> Have I got the wrong kind of tent? I don't know. I just heard tent and leads and thought Tiesto. It, it's the right kind of tent, but Tiesto is a DJ rather than an MC. Yeah, he, he is. just does that a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, and presses all the buttons. Aren't DJs frauds, eh? Aren't they frauds? Just hitting the right button at the right time. Load of bollocks. Yeah. Modern DJs, definitely, yeah. <laughs> this is a football podcast. Ross Twedl and Jackins here to go through the week's happenings with a fine-tooth comb, laugh at your opinions, and also, Clive F., find out what happened on this day in football history. It's a big day in the history of football, I, I assume. I don't know if it is for sure, but I assume it is. Uh, it's not actually a big day. <laughs> <laughs> I've managed to find three for you, September 20th, but they were thin it's it's not a um it's not a bumper day in the annals of football history but i provide anyway so yeah. september 20th 2003 uh davian duff and crespo scored their first goals for chelsea in a 5-0 drubbing of wolves so jimmy floyd and frank lampard opened scoring davian duff made it 3-0 crespo slotted two routine if that's the biggest news of the day <laughs> we're on for a bumper day september the 20th in this day in football history uh, it's it, it doesn't get much better, especially <laughs> especially if you're a fan of the championship in 2008, because September 20th, 2008, it was Watford versus Reading, uh, and it was notable refs being wank. This was when uh, Watford's John Eustace put the ball out facing Reading's Noel Hunt, but the linesman somehow and for some reason choked it up as an own goal, and Stuart Atwell said, yep. Yeah, own goal stands and A.D. Boothroyd went berserk so as he should do this was the famous ghost goal of the noughties there's been a few more examples of ghost goals but it definitely mm. just it didn't happen did it but it got given fantastic scenes yeah, yeah and <laughs> you say fantastic scenes I was watching it back it's bloody awful <laughs> and it's a it's annoying that this is the kind of thing which was a an argument to introduce VAR, but even with VAR, I wouldn't be surprised if this happened in this day and age. Oh my God, don't even get me on the referees after this weekend. As a Newcastle fan, that game against Brentford, Thomas Frank having the platform on Monday Night Football to whine and piss and moan about a penalty. I, I do accept, I do agree with him. Anthony Gordon's like little dive, he won us a penalty there, it wasn't a penalty. But the fact they had a goal chalked off because Callum Wilson stood next to the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper called Fleck call him flapping he's an arsehole he flaps at the ball and it goes in the back of the net and then they also have a little a guy what well, I think it was in Buemo at the back post he's doing an impersonation of an elephant Jackins. he's got his arm there you know how it goes how the kids do that sort of thing handball doesn't get given referee reverses it even though he, he goes, to the, goes to the monitor it's arm Referees are pissing me off. When don't you get rid of VAR? It's got no better we're just we're still yeah. having the same discussions we would be having if VAR wasn't here well, I'll tell you a discussion we were having on September 20th, 2009. <laughs> it was Man United 4, Man City 3. What this a scorching just... day that was. I remember that day being a Sunday. I remember in Morpeth Town watching at the Comrades Club, going outside, and it was a blisteringly hot Northumberland late September day. Yeah, but it was just a shame how it all ended, because obviously Rooney made it 1-0, Gareth Barry levelled, Fletcher netted twice for United, Bellamy netted twice for City, then... 
Michael Owen got the winner, didn't he? In the yeah. sixth minute of stoppage time, the arsehole. He is a massive arsehole. Went on strike in the final <laughs> dynamics of his days at Newcastle United. As we all saw, saw documented in Paul Ferris's book, who was the physio at the time. He rocks up there and slots it away like he didn't. He did for a short spell for Newcastle, but not often enough. I remember that game for Ben Foster having a Western super mare. Remember there was a goal Bellamy scored where he's sort of running in and cutting in from the left. And he sort of dribbles it past Ben Foster, who just goes down anyway for some reason and Bellamy slots it away so maybe that was the day that Ben Foster found out he wasn't Manchester United level yeah he may have just been frightened that Craig Bellamy was going to twat him or something you never know (laughs) he always seems like a nice fella Craig Bellamy until he steps on the football pitch yeah exactly Um, or a golf course (laughs) I was going to say or on a golf course definitely (laughs) he is a little arsehole but when he's your arsehole you love him as an arsehole because he's an arsehole for your team yeah, and he was cracking at Liverpool both times. So, uh, But when he wasn't at Liverpool, yeah, little brick. Cracking Jean on Arisa, I think you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bumper edition of Clive F's on this day. He peace freely what happened on this day in football history. I can't wait for next week's. Hopefully it's a bit better. <laughs> Well, fingers crossed, what can I say? (laughs) Who knows what might happen? The world is our oyster, but also last night in this world, we saw the Champions League make its return. The big headlines from the night, I guess, have to be uh, Sorry, Manchester City coming from behind to beat Red Star Belgrade 3-1 at the Etihad. My favourite part from watching the highlights of this game, I didn't see the full match, but was uh, hearing the Manchester City fans chant at the Red Star Belgrade fans, Champions of Europe, you'll never sing that. Of course, they won the competition in 1991 I don't know what it is with fans of Manchester teams and being crap at chanting but City <laughs> have taken the bat on from United fans haven't they Jesus <laughs> it was a shocking chant and also I guess uh, Julian Alvarez his goal have you seen how he twinkle toes his way around the goalkeeper and he has to hit it as early as he does otherwise I think it's going to go out of play or maybe the, the angle is going to be too narrow from slotted in the goal but the way he just sort of goes I'm going to try and for order, so, sorry for people watching on YouTube try and display what he did in case you didn't see it with my hand he went ha ha in one movement it was an incroyable <laughs> it, yeah at first glance it looked like he'd either scuffed or tripped and then you watch it and you're like oh no I, I just Forgot that Julian Alvarez is just very, very, very good at football. It was a beautiful finish. Yeah, Manchester City coming from behind, of course. It was a shock to see them go a goal down. Uh, yes and no, because City, especially when Pep's tinkering, obviously he wasn't tinkering too much, but they're unpredictable in that way. You always know that they're going to win, unfortunately, but I'm never surprised to see them go behind. Are you not? No, never am. Just because they're erratic at times but it's just as soon as they decide right we're, we're going into the the next game we're just going to batter someone it's inevitable but um we, we saw it in the we saw it in the super cup didn't we yeah uh they went behind and then the inevitable happened and they came back it's just one of them it is one of them and it happens all the time it's the hope that kills you Ross it's the hope that kills you it is I and hope is what Newcastle United had when they went to the San Siro for their first Champions League game in 20 years live stream is on the Holding Give Football YouTube channel right now if you want to see my live reactions Uh, I think I lost a few lives lost a few lives lost a few years off my life watching that game last night because how AC Milan didn't score at least three or four we will never know Nick Pope having a fantastic game Dan Byrne Kieran Trippier having fantastic games Jacob Murphy clearing one off the line Newcastle 
Newcastle didn't offer too much going forward, but they could have nicked it right at the end. Sean Longstaff had a, a bit of a thunder bastard from the edge of the goal. He puts it like two yards either side of the uh, the sub-goalkeeper who came on for, um, oh my God, Magnon um, in the second half. He puts it two yards either side. I think it flies in the back of the net. But if you offer me a point, nil-nil away at the San Siro, first Champions League game for 20 years, I'm taking it. But especially under those circumstances, we got battered, Jarkins. Battered. <laughs> Yeah, I had this one. I forgot that it was an early start because I just trimmed my beard and I thought, oh, go have a nice shower. And then I opened my phone and I just saw all the Newcastle fans that I follow being like, oh, brick it. And I was like, oh, crap, better go wash the footy. Uh, I, I popped into the live stream for a second. You a did. bit of a hip, hip the better. <laughs> but um, yeah, like you said, even though Milan swarmed at times, there were spells, especially the beginning of both halves when Newcastle were just like, right, let's, let's go for this. I think... Uh, Miggy coming on as well looked like he had a real point to prove. Um, but like you said, you'd, you'd you'd take a point before a ball was kicked. Let's hope you can just finish your dinner and hold on at St. James's. Yeah, it's going to be the home form that might get us through. I still don't think we'll make it through the group because it is that strong of a group with Dortmund and PSG. Uh, PSG beat Dortmund 2-0 in the other game and Bappe got a penalty and I forget who scored the second goal. Um, I think it was Hakimi maybe. He's, I think he remembers slalom yeah, running was, into yeah. the box, yeah. Um, so I don't think we'll get through the group. Uh, it was weird because obviously Milan came into the game after getting hoofed 5-1 by Inter at the weekend there. They have won three of the four games in Serie A, including a 2-1 win away at Roma with 10 men. So, you know, they've had a decent start of the season. But you think mm. about that game, the wheels potentially have fallen off. They've got Zlatan coming into the training ground to have a go at the players for, you know, to, get the, the, to pull their fingers out their arseholes. And Newcastle made them like one of the the best teams in Europe it was a, it was a weird turn of events because we were very very cautious with our tactics but again I can see why we're away from home in the San Siro for goodness sake who do we think we are <laughs> well yeah even though it's not a vintage Milan side it's still AC Milan and fair play to Newcastle for not letting the uh, occasion fully get on top of them um but yeah, like, like we've said, a point of the San Siro is still very, very good, no matter who you are. And it was all worth it for Jacob Murphy's face during the Champions League anthems at the start. My God, it's always nice to see football players being real. Jacob Murphy, who's been on loan to Sheffield Wednesday in League One and people like that. He's in there, he's starting in the Champions League and he couldn't hide the joy from his face. It was fantastic to see. But there we go. We'll take the point. We'll move on to the next game. And the other highlight of the night last night in the Champions League had to be Lazio goalkeeper Ivan Provedel, who scored an incredible header it was Mart Poom-esque I think that happened maybe on this day <laughs> on this day yesterday about 20 years ago now Mart Poom for Sunderland away at Derby County when he flew like a kipper through the air headed in at the back post but yeah Providel scores the 95th minute equaliser for Lazio against Atletico the last touch of the game it was an incredible deft sort of flick it was a flick header with a bit of power if that makes any kind of sense it was a lovely header and they got there uh, got, the, got the point in the end it was the run he made for it, which was beautiful because he proper let on to whoever sent in the cross. He was like, right, here we go. And it was it was perfect. It was an absolute... You wouldn't say that was a goalkeeper's finish. The only thing that I would have liked for serendipity, I'm sure that uh, Providel, uh, he's number 94, isn't he, on the yeah. back of his shirt. So if he would have scored it 30 seconds earlier. <laughs> number 94 in the 94th minute. But this goes back to what we were saying last week. Uh, obviously, you're saying about... I wouldn't say Marpoon was a um, a renegade, but you know, chalking back up to the, the renegade keepers of the nineties and that the the more kind of like, you know, not carefree. Not by the book. Yeah. Yes, there we go, carefree. You, 
You just love to see it, don't you? It's like seeing a dog on the pitch. You're like, go ahead. Yes, go. <laughs> what it's all about. Who was that player that got his career ended by a dog going on the pitch and running into his knee, doing his cruciate or something like that in the 70s oh. or 80s? It's, yeah, I've seen it. I can't remember who it is. It's horrible to watch knowing what happens after the fact, but when you're watching it in real time, it doesn't look like much, but it's a fantastic little clip if you can dig it out on YouTube. But yeah, up the dogs on the football pitches. I saw a lovely dog in a Newcastle shirt in Milan, a lovely sort of like maybe, like, it was more ginger than chocolate, but a ginger slash chocolate Labrador, if that makes any mm. sense to anybody. But what a wonderful dog it was. Anyway, I guess that was the highlight of the night from the Champions League. Celtic got beat elsewhere. Um, I, I'm trying to think of anything else. Anything else you saw last night that caught your eye? Uh, Barca romped to was it a five nil win and it looked what are their it, it goals like, they scored? My God, it was like like Pep Barcelona from back in the day, tiki taka. It really was. It did look like the Barca of old. It's it's one of those of Barcelona that I always forget that they won the league last year because in my head I'm just like Barca are finished. They're they're just not what they were. They've got twenty five p to the name. They're not even in the new camp. And then you watch them, and you're just like, oh yeah, it is still Barcelona, and they still play very good football and have very good players. But I don't think I was expecting a five nil. No, it was Joao Felix, I think, who scored the goal I was referencing there, which is also a shock considering. Well, he was a you know a, an out of form Chelsea team, let's put it that way, an out of sorts Chelsea mm. team. But to see him putting it away last night like he did, it was a st- it was still a shock to me. I think I think he got. Was it two goals and an assist on the night? He was basically everything that happened went through him, from what I saw from the highlights anyway. Yeah, what a player yeah. when he's not playing in England. Anyway, speaking of England, <laughs> we move on to the Premier League highlights or the headlines from the weekend there. Brighton took the absolute piss out of Manchester United Old Trafford, even though they made six changes and were missing Purvis Estepinian. The Hip Hop and Happening New segment. Uh, sorry, let me give it its full title after I forgot what it was, the full title from last week. Just a second there. It's the best segment on this podcast. Welcome to Brighton Hove Albion fullback, Purvis Estepinian. What are you talking about? Where we <laughs> take a rash opinion from a listener and pull it apart and maybe have a little giggle along the way but that's coming up later in the podcast but Esther Pinyan he was missing from the Brighton side but they still went there they played the Zerbi ball ooh 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 scrummy 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 Manchester United have now lost three of their first five league games for the first time since 1989 uh, I'll comment on that bit because it'll be obviously very biased but I will go to say um, Pascal Gross is absolutely fantastic for Man United we've said for many weeks now that they're a very weird side I'm just looking at my phone because I've got my notes on there I'm not being rude not being rude um, but the Man U just looked absolutely clueless at times I think was the main word that I took from it uh, Rashford had many opportunities but just was having one of those days that he couldn't finish his dinner um, I thought thingy look good what's his name uh, Danny Welbeck <laughs> Danny Welbeck like because I was out on Saturday and looked up the phone and went Danny Welbeck jeez no uh, young lad that Hoyland I thought Hoyland looked decent for United as well but um, Brighton are one of those that in my head I'm still like ah it's only Brighton forgetting that they've been fantastic all season really good last season Deserby Ball is clearly working in spades um I just want to see if they can maintain it over a season. Yeah, because when they start the European campaign, which I guess, does it start this week, the Europa League, like the Champions League did? I think we're next. Next week? Let me 
Let me double check. I wouldn't care with my team playing on a Tuesday and or a Wednesday night. <laughs> um, but yeah, once that kicks in and they're, they're playing away wherever they're going to, I think they've got Marseille in their group, if I'm remembering rightly. I might be just making things up again. But once that starts, that's the real acid test for this Brighton squad. No, we, uh, we, the Europa League starts this week because we're playing Lask tomorrow. Oh, is that the, the, the brother of... Um... Alexis. McAllister. Yeah. Yeah, big, Kevin, big, Kevin McAllister. Big, big Kev McAllister. Uh, but for the Man United game, we should say, like, Hoyland's uh, disallowed goal. He was good, but Rashford clearly didn't hook the ball back in time before uh, before it crossed the dead ball line. There was a fantastic yeah. bit of commentary for, from someone I heard uh, over the weekend where he said, gross profits from Man- uh, for Brighton against Manchester United once again. Gross profits for Brighton against Manchester United once again. It's a double entendre. Gross profits, big profits. Gross profits, Pascal profits. Yes, lovely. <laughs> um, you speak about Hoyland there having a good game. The booze when he was taken off with the score 2-0. Is Eric Ten Hag starting to lose it? Because it looked like he was sorting things out last season. There obviously was a massive improvement from the Ralph, uh, the Ralph Ranick days. But now he's got the Sancho thing going on. He's got this going on where the, the supporters are booing uh, his sort of like tactical changes, if you want to call it one of those. Uh, is he get, what's, what's going on? There, we've spoken at length of the turmoil behind the scenes at United. I just think this is more of the fact that he looked so bright and considering they were facing a win to take him off just seemed stupid. Uh, there could be questions about, you know, fitness. I think Ten Hag even alluded to that in his post-match presser. But yeah, when you're chasing a win, you're not going to take him off, are you? But it's, I don't think he's losing it. And I don't think this was like Pep-esque tinkering. I just think that... And we seem to say this every year with Man United. The challenge is bigger than we all realise. It's the, like the let's have our football cliche of the week, uh, Ross. The the rot has well and truly set in. <laughs> in uh, they are a massive tree stump of Manchester United, and there is a rot in the centre of it. Yeah, they just. I don't know. I don't know what the what the solution is apart from you know bring back the days where a manager could smack around the back of the head for being. <laughs> If there is one manager who's going to do it in the league, it would appear to be Eric Ten Hag because he doesn't have it. He has no problem just casting people out because we're going to talk about them in the more like sort of uh, the football headlines later on. But Sancho has been just sort of cast out. He's been told to train away from the first team. He's been handed a fine for his social media post where he called himself a scapegoat. He doesn't care about laying it out as uh, Ten Hag, no matter who it is. Apparently, Sancho's on 420 grand a week. And apparently, I, I, I saw this online, but I didn't like corroborated to make sure if it was true or if it was someone just like taking the mic. Apparently Sancho took a holiday to New York last week during the international break. Um, I don't know if that actually happened or if that was, you know, someone on Twitter slash X with a grudge finding old pictures. But if he has taken that time to go away, then he's clearly not taking things seriously. Again, this is all from what we can see, but what's happened there? I what has happened know. there? Imagine that that lad at Dortmund. Everyone was getting yeah. linked with him. All the big teams were getting linked with him. To now, it is an unbelievable decline. Yeah, get, come you know, we'll take him. We'll get we'll get Uncle Jurgen to you know instill some, I don't know, some 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 manners and some some pr- manners. That's not even a word. But <laughs> I'm come d- to Liverpool, we'll straighten them out. <laughs> But I will go back to Ten Hag sort of flapping after the game. He made his comments as well about Brighton being one of the teams who spent money to get to where they are, which is fantastic. Everyone on X.com pointed out that the starting 11 for that game against Manchester United and their billions and billions on their squad uh, was 16.2 million. That's in 
unbelievable for any sort of Premier League outfit. Maybe even Luton must be close to 16.2 million for their starting 11. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. It, 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 Brighton scouts are the envy of thing of every big team in the country at the moment. They're just, they're fantastic. Well, they've either been split apart to Newcastle or Chelsea. So we'll have to see if this good form continues. Like with this summer signings, I know they made a couple of signings. They made a, there was a lad from, um, oh God, one of the French teams. They signed a midfield to replace uh, Caicedo. If he's a good one, there's something in the waters down there at Brighton. That, well, you must drink a magic potion. Then all of a sudden you can just find talent all around the world, no matter what's going on. See, I've never been to Brighton, but I've always heard good things. So I might have to go down, drink some water, and then who knows, the Mersey Maldini might rise from the ashes once again. <laughs> uh, speaking of Mersey's, I might as well go to Goodison Park this time, or Woodison, as I like to call it, because I went to the UAN once, and everything was wooden, including the mm. beer. Um, but yes, we had the upside that was, but wasn't, but was. Gary Neville was, oh, that's not right, that. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel right as an upside call. But you can see, when Gabriel plays the ball off Beto, and Ketty is coming back from an offside position, so when the Arsenal player touches it if he's offside he's offside yeah I think it's just more kind of it's Neville I think's taking aim at the kind of clinical nature of the game whereas I don't think he wasn't affecting but like you said to the letter of the law offside is offside there is a black and white to it but I think it's the kind of playing with logic side of Gary Neville yeah and I guess obviously in in his day obviously never an offside but (laughs) He always held a tight line to Gary Neville. I don't know why I'm making him sound like Wurzel Gummidge. Um, but there we go. Uh, you say that, though. If, if if I close my eyes, he's here in the room. So. <laughs> um, oh, 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 Sorry, audio listeners. I'll, I'll mute that. That was, that was his orgasm when Torres scored that goal against Barcelona. Um, what else was happening at Goodison Park? We had, obviously, Arteta taking things a bit ugly against Neverton side, who didn't really lay too many gloves on them. I was a bit disappointed because this is Sean Dyche going up against Arsenal. Normally, bloody loves it. But also, Mikel Arteta bringing in David uh, David Raya uh, for Aaron, Aaron Ramsdale, who had started 76 of the last 77 Premier League games. Excuse Hang on, me. I've just got to... I've got to bugger off for a minute. I've actually locked Sean out the house. <laughs> you go and get Sean in. As I was saying before, we're so rudely interrupted by Sean being locked out the house. I hear she's fuming like Eric Ten Hag was after Saturday's game. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, I've locked her out once since we moved here. She's locked me out at least four times, so it was coming. Don't let her hear that, though. Don't let her hear you say that. I know, she'll hear it. I I will keep score and I will point score and I will this at any given opportunity <laughs> anyway Aaron Ramsdale started 76 of the last 77 Premier League games he was replaced by David Raya for this game Arteta came out after the game basically saying no this wasn't Ramsdale being definitively dropped there's a lot of games to go around for uh, between the two players uh, between the two goalkeepers he compared it to um, just a change in midfield I think what was his name came in oh my god it's a little lad they signed from Porto I've gone blank Jack Atkins I've gone blank Vieira Bill Vieira came in, didn't he? Compared to a midfield change like that. Good Lord. Um, so can you have two number ones? I don't think you can have two number ones, but I can't disagree with his logic. It, it, there just seems to be the unwritten rule that you keep as your keeper, but anyone else is carte blanche for change. Um, I don't think Ramsdale will see it that way. Certainly not. I don't think the goalkeeping staff will see it that way. Um, but like I said, Arteta is, the way he said it, you can't argue with it and said kept a clean sheet it was a a toothless Everton midfield uh toothless Everton side sorry I've got here the the midfield may well as may as well not exist 
I'm just catching my breath. I had to absolutely leg it down the stairs then. <laughs> um, but we were saying this when when they signed Dave Raya. We were just like, well, surely that's Ramsdale's days at number one numbered then. But if, if he's insisting that they're going to have two number ones, at least for this season anyway, whatever, really, yeah. Yeah, if I was Chelsea, I'd be going, ooh, 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 let's get Aaron Ramsdale in because I don't think Sanchez is quite up to scratch, but that's just my opinion. And I might be talking bollocks. I mean, we, we all know that Chelsea are very astute at signing goalkeepers, aren't they? So. <laughs> Kepper is still crap. Uh, Spurs have got off to their best start for 58 years now under Rams Postacoglu. Uh, Sheffield United took the lead at White Hart Lane in the game of the weekend there where a fan was seen falling from the terraces onto a flag. The camera unfortunately cut away before we could see where he ended up. I hope it didn't fall too hard on the floor because surely he looked like a bit of a bigger fella, so surely that was the only place he was going to go. There was a lovely swaz on the opener from uh, Gustavo Hamer in off the beans on toast. Then, in the midst of 12 minutes of added on time, Richarlison actually scores and it's a header, so Armageddon must be upon us or something like that because that's a double whammy if I ever saw one. Before Kulusevski twats one in, for the winner, two goals in two minutes, 98th and ni- no, 100th, basically, I think they were. Unbelievable scenes. Yeah, I've, I've actually got a Richarlison goal, this guy's fallen, and then he got the assist for the the winner as well. Did he? Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, they were saying on Match of Day afterwards that he's been, you know, quite open, that he's been, you know, struggling recently personally and that. And as much as I take the piss out of the pigeon-chested little fool who likes to give it the bifters against Liverpool, but, you know, isn't very good. He's still a human being, so I'm I'm happy for him that he possibly got a weight lifted off his shoulders. But I still think he's crap. Um, as for Spurs, we've the, the main thing I've noticed from Ainge Ball, if we're calling everything someone Ball, um, they just look, and I've said this until blue in the face, they just look free. They just look like there's they haven't got a care in the world, and they're just like. Let's just let's just enjoy our football, and like you said, it's it's that belief that shone through that when it went to the nine hundredth minute or whatever it was when Richarlison scored that they just kept going and going and going, didn't let the heads drop, and came away with three points. Big time. I'm looking very good calling Spurs my dark horse of the season in my season predictions. I am a football genius. Uh, but anyway, the, the the headlines from this game came from Paul Heckenbottom, the Sheffield United head coach's comments after the game. Uh, we saw Sheffield United goalkeeper Wes Fotheringham. Fotheringham, that's a hard surname for me to say. Premier League Wes, as Paolo Di Canio used to call him back in his swin- swinging days. Do you remember that? <laughs> that's the same Wes. Wes. It's the same Wes. Wes, get off the pitch. You're not very good, Wes. Get off. That's uh, like the Canyos in the room. I do apologise, everybody. Yeah, if I close my eyes, he's right here. <laughs> I'm a fascist now, Father. Um, <laughs> the big mad fascist. <laughs> anyway, Wes picked up a yellow card in the first half of handing the ball outside the penalty box and spent the rest of the match being warned by referee Peter Banks to hurry up. Even though he wasn't overtly taking the piss with the time wasting, this was just the referee's... Uh, doing what they've done so far this season and stamping down on what is perceived as to be time-wasting. Uh, Heckenbottom felt the official's treatment of following was unfair and he was merely waiting for his team- teammates to get in position and stuff like that. He said, this is Heckenbottom's quote, it's pointless seeing him after. I know how little they know about football. I'm not moaning about decisions. It is game management, understanding the game. Appalling! Appalling! That's what I'm told after the game. Absolutely appalling. I bet Spurs say the same. He spoke about the referee... 
um, saying to Heckenbottom, well, because Sheffield United apparently set up to play out from the back. They wanted to keep things short uh, from the goalkeeper to the defenders. But then when they couldn't do that because Spurs were pushing them high and, and instead of waiting for a, a man to become free like Wes apparently was in the game, the referee said, well, just kick it long then. The referee was dictating to Sheffield United how to play their game. And that's not right. It's not right at all. And we've said it about this kind of time-wasting thing. If someone's, you know, diving on top of the ball and making a meal out of stuff, that's one thing. But like you said, waiting for your team to regroup. What's he meant to do? Just hit and hope and then hand the ball to the opposition. That's that's not a game then, is it? That's just a training exercise for Tottenham. I just hate how... Um, I hate the facet of football is a bigger team like Spurs being sort of thwarted by smaller, you know, smaller team, like maybe like in terms of their standard today, but I don't mean that in general, but there you go. Uh, teams close to the bottom of the table, like Sheffield United, you can't expect teams like Sheffield United to go to Spurs and play an open game of football. That's just not how football works. They're going to go there and try and stifle this Spurs attacker who's been very good this season. If you take that away from the game, you lose a large part of what makes football football. It's the underdog story. Imagine the FA Cup. What's that going to mean? Yeah. Well, especially if, like, like he says, if what he says is true, and the referee was advising the goalkeeper on to play their game, the arrogance of them—that's mm. like, shut up! You're meant to be an imp- you're an impartial rule enforcer. You are nothing more than that. Exactly. And, yeah. Bastard. I'm sick of talking of the refs. I'm sick of the refs. But they're the refs. It's <laughs> they're they're such an important part of the game. But I think. Oh, bring back the days when a manager could just slap a ref. That's what I <laughs> bring, bring back Brian Clough. I think someone tried to. It sounds like someone's trying to break in, but I don't think they are. Anyway, Luca Pacatar said hello to Pep Guardiola and his backroom staff on the Manchester City bench before Manchester City came from behind once again to win at West Ham. Jeremy Doku looks like a bit of a player. Yeah, unfortunately so. 43 seconds into the second half, he scored, wasn't it? Um, and we were saying before about the, the crushing inevitability that is Man City. And it's like, oh, they, they can't sign every good player. And then he looked fantastic. Yeah, a jinx. Was- just get the cliche, the cliche book out once more, Jarkins. A jinking slalom run into the area oh. before he stroked it into the far corner. Well, it, it, they needed something because Haaland had a weirdly quiet day but still managed to get on the score sheet, didn't he? So. Well, that was because our Areola in the West Ham goal was unreal. So was Edison. Mm. Edison makes this save from Kurt Zuma, a Kurt Zuma header in the bottom corner that was like, it was Gordon Banks-esque, so it was. It was incredible. Yeah, beautiful save. Um, like you said, but Areola as well. It, it's It's... I like watching good goalkeeping performances as long as it's not at Anfield by an opposing team. Um, and this was this is what you'd say. This is one for the new the neutral goalkeeping fan out there. The, what's it called? The goalkeeping? What they call it? The, the goalkeeping union. That, that's the one I'm looking for. For the, the union. One for the union. Up yeah. the union. Up the unions. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier tonight, we had Thomas Frank used his time on Monday Night Football to bitch and moan about the referees, even though his team got away with two clear ones at St. James's Park as Newcastle got back to winning ways. Uh, three defeats on the trot to Liverpool, uh, to Brighton, and to Manchester City. Then we bounced back with a very, very ugly win against Bright- uh, Brentford, but it was those referee calls that I guess made the headlines. I've gone through them already Gorns wasn't a penalty I agree with that but then we should have the first goal should have stood where Wilson puts it in after he stands next to Flecken and does nothing really of note and also the penalty where Embuemo does an elephant impersonation like a child I can't do the noise can you do the noise how do you do the noise I forget it's been that long 
No, that's that's why she's squeaky. <laughs> so squeaky, I didn't even hear that. That was like a dog whistle. <laughs> no, is it? I don't know. <laughs> Thomas Trapp was even moaning about the ball boys at St James's Park, but did do you think? Well, because I'm only making this a part of the headlines because he was on Monday Night Football on Sky Sports making a big hoo ha about this and how his team sets up uh, to play against the bigger teams and whatnot with three at the back and five, uh, three in the middle and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure everybody saw it. Uh, what did you make of his his comments there? Yeah, it, it 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 did have a, a tinge of sour grapes because, like you were saying about the um, the Wilson foul, was very harsh, and Flecken was flapping. Their back line were absolutely all over the place at times. He's trying to find some way to moan about taking out all of this team, which you've got to kind of begrudgingly respect. But like you said, especially from your point of view as a Newcastle fan, he was talking out of his ass for most of it. You know what he was falling into, Jackins? He was falling into that category of the clops. A manager who you think is nice and then he keeps talking and he keeps talking and he keeps talking and you realise he's a massive arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's known as a born winner, Cross. I think you'll find. <laughs> oh, there's better winners out there. Anyway, elsewhere in football headlines this week, <laughs> Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy has revealed there is a buyback clause secured in Harry Kane's Bayern Munich contract. Kane, of course, joined the German champions in a, cl- a deal close uh, worth close to £100 million earlier this summer, ending his 19-year association with Spurs in the process. Uh, Daniel Levy was speaking at a fans forum on Tuesday and basically said, there is a buyback clause. What could he mean by that? No, it's just very definitive in his statements. Do you reckon he'll ever go back? Maybe when he's like 35 and he's won everything at Bayern Munich and he just wants to end his career on the right note. Um, but considering how he's, from what I've seen, what how he started in Germany, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Can I just say that Oktoberfest shirt with the nice sort of flowery design on the on the, on the the sort of, is it embossed the right word? It's in the shirt, if that makes sense. It's in the pattern of the shirt. Oof. Sir. I can't wait. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see Harry Kane and lay the hose and drink one of those giant boot glasses. That's all. What a sight that's going to be! I reckon Harry Kane's never had a beer in his life. He strikes me that sort of guy, not in a not in a straight edge way, but in like a oh, I'm scared of it sort of way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he, he only drinks fizzy Vimto when he has his um, <laughs> smiley faces and turkey dados for two. Then he's awake. He's awake all night long. Can't get back to sleep because of that. <laughs> Poisonous juice known as Vimto. Anyway, the Ballon d'Or nominees have been uh, sort of put forward by FIFA. It's called the FIFA, the best FIFA men's player uh, officially. We have Alvarez from Manchester City, but I guess that's more for his work with the Argentina national team. Brozovic, De Bruyne, Haaland, Rodri, that lad from Napoli who I can't even begin to pronounce his name. The, you know, the Messi lad on the wing, that lad. Uh, Mbappe, mm. Messi, Osmehen. I've said that wrong as well from Napoli. Osem, Os. Osman, I always say it wrong. Why do I struggle with certain players' names? That striker from Napoli, the one that everyone likes. Go on, what's his you name? Get into, you get into that age now, Ross. We all do it. Yeah. My dad couldn't. My dad couldn't say Firmino. We had him for years. Big uh, Victor. I always say, <laughs> I, I, I always say Osman. Osman, that's what I'm looking for. Declan yeah. Rice is on there. Bernardo Silva is on there. Mm. Who are you giving the Ballon d'Or to? Uh, I. Mm. I think they're going to give it to Messi. For me, it's got to be Haaland. Because um, I'm not usually a big fan of Ballon d'Or because in the last few years, it's basically who scores the most goals and that's not all football is. But based on the fact that he turned up, broke every record, won everything, didn't even break a sweat and look like a robot, it's got to be Kevin De Bruyne. 
obviously Messi in the World Cup was fantastic, but PSG and into Miami, who's asked really? Um, I think Mbappe again, even though I've just like put down PSG, Mbappe <laughs> should be um, in the running just for his performance in that World Cup final. Oh yeah. And the rest of the World Cup, he was unbelievable. Oh, of, of course, but I mean, being the second ever player to score a hat trick in the final and not even winning the thing must be a must be horrible. But um, I think Messi. But my heart says De Bruyne, and my head says Messi. My but heart says not, 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 not De Bruyne. Sorry, Haaland. Yeah, but, my, my heart says Messi just because of the World Cup. But it's it's weird how like when you look at the names, they're either on there because of solely their stuff with their national team or solely their hmm. stuff with their club team. There's no in the in between, is there? Which is a a bit of a shame because that would give you the because I I was thinking Rodri. Rodri's been unbelievable. Got the winner in the Champions League final. If that means anything, but he's just also arguably the most informed just dominating midfielder in world football and he has been for a couple of years now but again he hasn't done too much with the Spanish national team I guess that could be said so that maybe weighs him down I guess they're just going to give it a messy so he can round off the set it'll be his final one yeah I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting the era of Messi and Ronaldo to end not because I've not enjoyed watching him play football just because I want to see more people in the conversation yeah I don't know what I did there. Yeah. Uh, Osasuna could face disciplinary action from the league after a section of their supporters directed a piece of chance towards Mason Greenwood as he made his Getafe debut on Sunday. The 21-year-old came off the bench for the final 30 minutes of the game, which Getafe won 3-2 over Osasuna, where he was introduced and cheered by some of the home fans, but also a section of the Osasuna supporters were heard chanting Greenwood die as he entered the field. Osasuna coach... uh, Jogaba Arasate, I think I've said that right, or Arasate, one of the two, uh, admitted his disappointment towards the chanting, but also claimed that the, the Katafe supporters were guilty of abuse themselves. I mean, saying someone die might be a bit too far, but just messy stub your two on some Lego. Get that in a chant. Hey, Mason Greenwood, why don't you stub your toe on some Lego, Mason Greenwood, you prick? <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Thousands will do that this weekend. Thousands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm with you. Tell him to die is a bit harsh, but I'm glad they didn't give him a, a warm reaction. It's they, they, It doesn't have to be black and white. There can be a middle ground where, like you said, you know, stub your toe on some Lego. Fine. <laughs> Hey, Mason Greenwood. What was I going to say? But it was nice to say that. that, 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 that I want to. It feels weird calling it this as a Newcastle fan, but the sports washing campaign, the English speaking Getafe um, social media team have been on since Mason Greenwood signed for them. Oh, look at him signing the shirt of this little child. Isn't he a wonderful human being? I'm glad that people in Spain are seeing through that. Yeah, it's it's. Again, it's it's weird saying it's nice to see because it was still was death threat to a young man, basically. <laughs> but he's, uh, you know, been accused of some horrible things, and it's 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 not going to go away anytime soon. No, even though Manchester United have basically gone, we'll go down the Winchester and wait for it all to blow over by sending them out to Spain on loan, but it's not going to go away. Elsewhere in Spain, now this is a big one to unpack. This week, uh, the Spanish women's national team players have said they were boycotting the national team, but did turn up for international duty. Some of them did. The players launched the boycott after the Spanish Football Federation's former president now, Luis Rubiales, kissed Jenny Hamaso after the World Cup final. We all saw that. It was disgusting. However, there are still doubts this was a couple of days 
days ago whether the players will be forthcoming for the Nations League games. Spain play Sweden on Friday and then face Switzerland next Tuesday. Six players who lived in Madrid arrived at a hotel earlier this week um, in the capital city before leaving to join it with the rest of the team where they will train before going to play Sweden on Thursday. The majority of the players have said they support the boycott. There was a couple who said they don't support the boycott. Guillaume Balaguer, who of course has his finger on the pulse of all things football and Spain and Spain and football saying the players have reported to the camp because of the legal repercussions of not turning up which could include being banned from the national side and fines what a horrible situation to be found in because sure everyone knows what the right answer is but then again legal repercussions you don't want to do that so you're gonna go if I was them I would be there just because the legal repercussions even though I might not agree with being there in the first place if that makes sense yeah um it's it's one of the unfortunate signs of the modern game, isn't it? Like you said, when when money comes into it, sponsorships comes into it, outside sources that aren't directly involved with the day to day game, um, it is a tough position to be in. Yeah, you'd like to think if you're in that situation, if you were legally obliged to turn up, that you'd either turn up and just train, and either maybe not refuse to play, but find a way to get some press time and say your thoughts on it and explain your situation because obviously there's a new manager there and Ruby Alas has gone so it is well I don't think a new regime is the right word the the kind of the the more unpalatable sides of the Spanish women's national team have gone well like you said this is this is ongoing it's rumbling it's yeah you, you you've got to feel for the for the players involved yeah, they're in a very tough, tough position. But while they are there on international duty, they are going to meet with the federation and government to continue negotiations, having previously called for changes to the federation. Some have been made, but it's clear that more need to be named. Interestingly, the new head coach of the Spanish national team, Monse Tome, I guess we'll call his name, um, uh, named the squad for the upcoming uh, fixtures, as I mentioned there, against Sweden and Switzerland, and it included 15 members of that World Cup winning side, but also Hamaso, the lady who was kissed by Rubiales, was left out out in an updated story as of 5am this morning on Wednesday the 20th of October most of the Spanish women's national team have agreed to end their boycott saying the uh, this is according to the, the Secretary, of Sta- Secretary of State for Sports Victor Francos as I said happened at 5 o'clock this morning after 7 hours of meetings 2 of the 23 players called up for this month's Nations League games have chosen to pull out of the squad as a result of this thing so then it's, it appears to be a case of certain players being scared of the legal stuff, but also a couple of players taking a stand because the changes that have been made aren't as wholesale as they apparently need to be. That's what I'm reading mm. from that. Yeah, it's... Again, it, the black and white of it suggests that it's, you know, one for all and all for one, but it's... There's so much at stake as well, and individual thought, thoughts and feelings on their own careers, their own positions within the squad, etc., will come into this, rightly or wrongly. Um, I don't know. I, 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 my main kind of focus on this is on Hermoso herself, because obviously she's been left out and this is going to rumble on the, the case between her and, and the Spanish um, Sports Federation. Um, I know it was the Football Federation, wasn't it? Yeah, Luis Rubiales. Yeah. I wasn't sure if he was the actual sports as a whole. But um, whether she decides to enforce a, like a, an actual boycott, whether she retires from international duty after this, you don't want to say it. But if she wants to make a stand in the modern game, there's only 
so many ways you can do it, unfortunately. Yeah, and I'm sure many people will be behind her. I will be. Up the Jenny. Up the Jenny. Up the Jenny Hamaso. I don't know what I'm doing Great, here. Jenny. Uh, earlier on, of course, <laughs> we spoke about uh, Jaden Sancho training away from Manchester United, him being handed a fine by the club after his scapegoat post on social media. But now there's more news coming out from Do Not Buy The Sun, which is a little rag over here in the UK. Uh, they've put a story out saying, following Saturday's loss to Brighton, four Manchester United players were involved in a heated backstage in the dressing room. They were Bruno Fernandes, who was said to have confronted Scott McTominay. He must have been saying, why can't you play like you do for Scotland, Scott? What's going on here? Um, he was, Of course, McTominay was handed a rest start by Eric Ten Hag, but apparently had a bit of a stinker on the day. Centre-backs Martinez and Lynn were also alleged to have uh, gone at one another following a horrible defensive display. I think Pascal Gross put uh, Martinez on his arse for one of the goals, which was fantastic. But again, it's more backroom stuff coming out of Manchester United. Yeah, uh, as for Martinez, I've often talked about my schadenfreude. I don't like him, so I was glad to see him have a stinker the other day. Um, Ooh, he's the butcher. Um, (laughs) But Fernandez. When they handed him the armband, I was like, is that the right decision? Because he's always seemed a, how do I word this? Kind of Petulant. in the mold. Yes, kind of in the mold of a Ronaldo type where it, he wants to make sure that it, from the outside looking at it, it seems that Fernandez wants to make sure that Fernandez is good and then Man United's good, but they go part and parcel. Obviously, he doesn't seem like a leader to me. And if he's blowing up at Scott McTominay, he's like, what's... Leave Scott McTominay alone. Like you said, he's, <laughs> he's great for his country, but this was a rare start. And in a team that is, you know, stuttering on all fronts, the single set of ones out is unfortunate. But I don't think, I was saying before, I don't think Ten Hag's lost him. It sounds like if he's not losing the locker room, he at least needs to start, you know, enforcing it a bit more. They need, I don't know. They need, they need Man United's version of The Undertaker in there. A bit of wrestler's course. Ah, uh, big time. But it seems like Fernandez has gone after an easy target there in McTominay because I saw certain mm. clips of Marcus Rashford's performance, certain examples where he should have passed the ball and he went for a shot, certain examples where he wasn't really tracking back, as we know he can do and does do and has done in the past for Manchester United, has done for England. And I'm like, why aren't you picking on Rashford? Why are you going after Scott McTominay, who is, I'm sure we're all in agreement, not a Manchester United standard player. He's a decent Premier League player. Player, but he's not Man United level. Yeah, he's he's well, squad player definitely. But like you said he's the hand of a rare start. You know, f- fair dues to Ten Hag for saying go on then prove yourself. But definitely not at the at the level needed. And like you said, yeah, it does feel like he's picked an easy target. It's a bit like um, Begby in train spotting when he's playing pool half pissed <laughs> and just batters that little geek at the bar. Because um, <laughs> like you're saying, yeah, Rashford he had so many opportunities in that game and obviously just couldn't finish his dinner but yeah it's 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 ugly it's ugly it is we'll have to see how it resolves next week when we have another backstage thing I say backstage <laughs> backstage like it's some sort of wrestling promotion locker room thing oh it's not even American Ross dressing room thing from Old Trafford We've Man United are the CM Punk of the Premier League. That's what they are. <laughs> and that's enough wrestling talk for one football podcast. Roy Hodgson, obviously best wishes with him. He was taken ill before Crystal Palace's game away at Villa Park on Saturday. We have an update from Crystal Palace yesterday who said, we are delighted to confirm Roy Hodgson led Crystal Palace training today. This happened yesterday, of course. And the manager was absent from Saturday's match at Villa Park, but will return to the dugout for Saturday's match against Fulham at Selhurst Park. I was so sad when I saw this on Saturday morning because he's 76, bless his 
cotton socks. He was still fighting people a quarter, like a third of his age a few weeks before, but <laughs> you always fear the worst. It's like, it was like, you know, you always see Attenborough trending on Twitter. When I saw yeah. this story of Roy, I was like, oh God, please don't say it. Cause Roy's a lovely man. Um, I have strong opinions about Roy Hodgson, but I, you know, I, I don't want to see him gravely ill at the end of the day. And it is like you say, yeah, Attenborough, another one for me is whenever Billy Connolly trends, my heart sinks. Um, I was surprised that he came back. I thought, you know, <laughs> well into your 70s, retire, you've made your money, just go just go play Warhammer or whatever you do at the weekend. <laughs> but if you can still go, yeah, good, good. Be good to see you back, Roy, begrudgingly. Why, I oh, you got it. Yeah, that feels like you're going after an easy target. There, you feel like Bruno Fernandez in terms of the the pantheon of Liverpool managers and the where the club was at the time and who they were signing all that sort of stuff. It feels like you're going for an easy target there, having a go at Roy Hodgson. He's the worst manager we've had since Graham Souness. <laughs> but is he worse than Graham Souness? He can't be. Uh, as a whole, probably not. No. I hate Graham Souness. Anyway, across the Mersey we go once again. Uh, normally Liverpool fans like to sing, I've learned this because he's lived with a scouser. The Ev have got no money and we're all on the beak. What is the beak? I don't want to say. Um, but now Everton have announced that American private investment firm 777 Partners have signed an agreement with Farhad Mashiri to acquire a full stake in his club. Mashiri had been looking to sell the Toffees in recent years, but has now agreed to hand over his 94.1% stake in the club to 777 Partners. How are they going to fit all them in the boardroom, Jack Atkins? Who knows? It must be a big hey. room if they all get in there. Um, I learned this week, because obviously Mashiri's time at Everton is all about investing money really, really really poorly and spending stupid money on stupid things and not seeing good results on the pitch. I learned this week that David Moyes was in position to take over at Everton. This was a, a clip I saw on Twitter of uh, Harry Hands himself, Richard Keyes, interviewing David Moyes, where Moyes revealed um, that in uh, 2019, he's a massive wanker, married his... <laughs> his <laughs> we went through this in an earlier podcast, didn't we? Who Richard Keyes got married to recently and how he got together with said lady. He's a prime arsehole. But anyway, he was interviewing David Moyes. Moyes said he signed a contract with Everton uh, in 2019. But overnight, apparently he agreed it. He was going to get announced the next day or something. But they spoke to Carlo Ancelotti. Then all of a sudden, Ancelotti was the Everton manager and David Moyes was not. And Ancelotti <laughs> was allegedly paid £260,000 a week during his time at Everton. Oh, I mean... Which is a prime example of what Farhad Mashiri will be remembered for. <laughs> yes, because that deal worked out for everyone but Everton Football Club. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Ancelotti came in, like, me and my mates were all reds. We were just like, oh, okay, that's that's a, a serious um, appointment. And obviously the Everton fans were full of reverence, calling him Mr. Ancelotti. They got their first win against Liverpool in years in front of no fans because it was COVID season. <laughs> and then the second Real Madrid fluttered their eyes at him. He was like, yes, not this. This, this stadium's made the water arm up. And <laughs> I, did, I did feel bad for like my Everton support and family and friends because they were just... In the slurry, I think is the uh, phrase I'm going to use. As for this takeover by 777 Partners, there has been some apprehension I've seen online from Everton fans because their track record, they've, I think they've either got stakes or have had stakes in a number of teams who have not performed well, basically, since being taken over. And I think one of the key names involved was once indicted on like serious, I want to say drugs charges, <laughs> which of course... 
of course, people can turn their lives around. That may not have anything to do with their work in 7-7 Partners, but for a team that uh, and a fan base that uh, don't want to see their, their whole team dismantled, they want to see the club dismantled, they want to make sure that the stadium gets back on track, they want to not spunk money up the wall, they want to, you know, at least be challenging for some kind of honours again. I think the apprehension's real and I don't know. I hope it works out all right for them. I have a soft spot for the Ev. They're the Ev, aren't they? At least they've got a new chat, if that's right, about one of their new owners being indicted on the drug stuff. The Ev have got some money and they're all on the beak. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I read somewhere as well that Bashiri was looking for like investment to help the stadium process come along because they were struggling in that as well just because mm. of obviously the ramifications of financial fair play and taking stuff away from the, the playing side and stuff like that so to see him maybe give the money to someone who's not going to invest it well again do you know any of the teams at 777 have been involved in, in the past? Now if you keep chunnering I'll have a look I should have done a bit more due diligence. Let's have a little a little sing song about Everton I'm not going to have a sing song I'm just going to try and kill some time by telling you I might as well tell you my highlight week, Atkins, because this segment is brought to you by Claude McAuley. Big tackle, sponsored by Claude McAuley, as used to say on Soccer Round back in the day. I've got two sliding tackles being my highlights of the week this week. First and foremost, Kieran Trippier's big sliding tackle last night, where somehow he took the man out close to the byline and then kept the ball in in one movement. It was a moment that had me celebrating like we just scored a goal. But also, we've got to go and pay a visit to Andre Orellana, who was playing over in Honduras, <laughs> where Marathon were taking on Olympia. Olympia, and somehow this man has done a knee-high tackle and taken out two players. Ross Tweddle, hit the footage now for people watching on YouTube. Vamos a ver qué pasó con Andrea Orellana. Ahí va. No, no puede ser. Esto no solo es para Ross. Es inconcebible que un futbolista pueda hacer esto. No, no, extraño en Orellana. That was a big meaty tackle, Jarkins. It was, uh, you say a tackle, it was more like some kind of Liu Kang-esque dragon kick from Mortal Kombat. The fact he took out two fellas with it is, you've got to begrudgingly applaud it. It was impressive. It was wonderful. I remember us moaning about, um, oh my God, um, it said Leanne Rhymes. <laughs> Leanne James of the English national team when she got sent off in that game. Um, Lauren James. Lauren James. Sorry, I'm on the mayor today with names. Victor Osemahan. <laughs> I've got it wrong again, haven't I? Um, but uh, when she got sent <laughs> off, we were saying, if you're going to, you know, stamp on somebody, really stamp on somebody. If yeah, you're going yeah. to get a red card for an e-high tackle, do it and take two players out. So fair play to Andre Orellana. Yeah, it was... Uh, Leanne uh, Day, James. Uh, Jesus, wept Ross. Bloody Nora. There we go. You can't fight the moonlight, Ross. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before I give you my highlight of the week, the, the other teams at 7-7 seven, seven Partners... Uh, in their portfolio, there's Standard Liège, Genoa, Vasco da Gama, uh, France's Red Star FC, and Melbourne Victory. They do have a minority stake in Sevilla, but that's a mini- minority stake because obviously Sevilla, you know, serial Europa League winners. Um, but it's 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 not the the portfolio of out and out winners in their leagues all over the place. But getting away from the Ev. For my highlight of the week, we've already gone over it. It was Paul Hacking bottom calling out the refs. Yeah. Um, Alan Shearer disagreed with his comments, but I think that was more Shearer looking at the performance of the game 
in question rather than the idea of the refs having too much influence. Um, and, you know, whether his whether he would have said it if he would have won or not is something different. But it's it's good that he's used his profile and he's speaking out because it's what all the fans are saying. It's what a, a number of journalists are saying. It's what a number of pundits are saying, but we need people in the game saying it. I just hope he isn't fine something daft like 400 grand or something. Well, that's what I'm just typing now, just to see if he has been fine as we sat here on Wednesday morning. Uh, because, oh, well, apparently Chris Wilder's going back to Sheffield United. That are the rumours, not not confirmed, but the rumours that Heckenbottom's getting replaced. Um, but, yeah, that's the thing with these post-match highlights. We all clamour for people to be honest. And then when people are honest, they're handed a massive fine by the FA in the Premier League every single bloody time. So hopefully uh, Paul Heckenbottom isn't uh, isn't handed something like that. Because, as you, as you say, what he said was bang on the money. Hmm. Yeah, we go from yeah. <laughs> we go from the highlight of the week to the twat of the week. This is the segment, just in case it's the first time listening to the Hole and Give Football podcast. We have a highlight of the week, but we also have a twat of the week, which is given to the biggest twat in the world of football. Joe Atkins, I went first last time, so you can go first this time. Um, yeah, it's 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 the unfortunate scenes that we saw in Milan ahead of um, the Newcastle game where. Uh, you'll know the, the the ins and outs better than I will, but we saw Newcastle fans attacked just merely for being Newcastle fans. And obviously we've, we've spoken about hooliganism on this before and whether rightly or wrongly, I said, you can't stop therms, basically. If you've got two sets of fellas who want to agree to have a fight, they're going to have a fight somewhere. But when it's people attacking innocent people who are just there to uh, watch football, when there's weapons used, when it's like life-threatening injuries, it's what what what's the point? Like, what's the point of two sets of people having a fight in the first place? But if yeah. everyone's a willing participant, that's one thing. But this is just it's disgusting, and it it's annoying that it's happened in Italy again because. I've got um, my old barber's a traveling Liverpool fan across Europe, but he, I think he went to one match in Italy once and went moody. I'm never going again. Uh, another one of my friends, um, as in the last few years, her her boyfriend again is a traveling fan, and she started going to some of the European games with him. And I said to her, "I was like, there's no way you're going to Italy." And she said, "Oh yeah, we're we're not touching it." Um, but yeah, if, if you'll know more about this than I will. Yeah, apparently, well, the, the, from what we've read in the news, not even just on Twitter, it's been like reported by the likes of Sky Sports, the Daily Mail were quite on top of it. Uh, there was just a, a 58-year-old Newcastle fan whose name I have written down somewhere, but I haven't read it out here. Might as well give him a, a little mention. Uh, not that that came up the wrong way. I'm trying to say, though. Eddie Mackay was his name, 58 years old, walking back to his hotel mm. just after midnight with his son and his son's pal, all wearing Newcastle shirts. Apparently, they were set upon by seven or eight fellas and balaclavas who used machetes to rip the of Newcastle shirts off their backs and then Eddie who stumbled because he had hip problems being an older fella um, was stabbed three times and luckily I think he's alright I think he's travelling back to Newcastle this morning because his daughter went out early to get him but it's a, it's another they weren't even causing bother by all accounts not even just some accounts all accounts were saying they were just walking back to the hotel but they were set upon because they were in a small group a group that was smaller than the group that was that set upon them but just just because they were wearing Newcastle shirts and it's I I don't know how you prevent that. I mean, you, obviously, you are going to get examples where there are small groups of people walking around together in a you know place like Milan and stuff like that seemingly can't be avoided. Um, but it is it's just, it's it's sad to read, isn't it? Because you just, you just think this is an issue that was in football decades ago, but it's it's clearly still rife in certain places. It's weird because I went to I used to follow England away and I went to Turin 
if Juventus' is new stadium, obviously just inside the Alps, a lovely setting. But I was terrified, thinking, shall I go to Turin for Italy versus England in case something like this happens? Luckily, it didn't then, even though Turin is not a very nice place to visit at all, let me tell you. What a horrible place Turin is. Um, but just to hear it happening again, it just it, it just makes you sad, doesn't it? We had it outside Anfield a few years ago with Napoli fans, cowardly attacking Sean Cox and, uh, you know, it causing you know life-changing injuries to him. And it's... It's cowardice at the end of the day. It is. Aye. So hopefully it doesn't happen again. Hopefully football fans travel around Europe keep, <coughs> keep themselves safe. Um, so yeah, it's just been a horrible situation. But luckily Eddie's all right. Uh, my twat of the week, I've got to give it to Farhad Mashiri. Since his time at Everton came to an end, he didn't have much of a send-off from the fans. But I think we here at the Holding Give Football podcast will give him a good old send-off and say you did a terrible job, Farhad. You put in, lo- <laughs> you put in lots of money. And it got your apps. In fact, it took you backwards. It took you backwards, backwards from where Everton were when he took over to where they are now. You made a right mess. Good riddance. Well, no, not good riddance to you because I think the Premier League will miss him. Missing seeing Everton spending wild money on players. But now you'd have to name them. Gilfie Sigurdsson, mm. 45 million on him, for example. That seemed like a bit over the top, even though he did all right for Everton before things happened. <laughs> James Rodriguez obviously leaving them in the in the slurry once again. Um, Keen up front. Ashley Young goal forty five years of him. Um, <laughs> it's weird because he spent that much money, and then obviously the stadium's gone on the background. That then they couldn't spend money on the actual you know playing team for this season. So they were. I know they got better win, who looks like a good sign, and he cost a fair whack. I think twenty five to thirty five million euros somewhere like that. But they were resigned to signing. Like I remember Andros Townsend a couple of years ago on a free transfer. Look where he is now. Can't even find a club. Ashley Young this summer. You've made a right pig's ear at Farhad, and you are a massive twat. I, th- I think. Yeah, it, although I said there's apprehension from some Everton fans about seven 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 taking over, they I've not seen anyone shed a tear for Farhad Mashiri, and the next one for them is they just want Bill Kenwright gone as well. Yeah, good old Jack Frost himself. If you've seen Jack Frost star <laughs> Michael Keaton, that's who Bill Kenwright looks like. Anyway, we move on to the <laughs> hippest. <laughs> you never noticed this before. It's yeah, the, that's fun. It's what, the eyes. <laughs> I remember watching that film and thinking, oh, that was quite a nice a nice tale about a, a uh, you know, a, a dead man who's now a snowman. But looking back on it, it's quite a frightening film. It is a frightening film, especially when you're sat there watching it, as I was when I was a kid, and your dad had died. And you're looking outside at the snow thinking, Dad, are you out there? <laughs> Heartbreaking scenes. Anyway, we move on to our new hip-hop and happening series. Welcome to Brighton Hove Albion fullback Purvis Estepinion. What are you talking about? Of course course we put out the feelers last week for your hottest takes on the world of football and we have one from oh my god what does this even say here we go with the names once again ross bitas bit oh bittersweet chin m it's a wrestler <laughs> bit of sweet chin m bittersweet chin m why do i struggle to read he says messi is a drugs cheat and would not have been the player he is today if not for hdh as a ben which means as a child now to set the scene for those who don't know about lionel messi messi was diagnosed with a growth hormone disorder ghd it's often called idiopathic short stature which is a wonderful name for such a disease what <laughs> just caught myself saying that sentence there i'm a arsehole anyway but that's 
a series of problems that go beyond being shorter than average. The treatments are expensive, about $900 a month back in the 90s when Messi was a wee nipper. Um, the expense that was uh, his modest family at the time couldn't afford, so the football teams he played for, they took up the cost. The treatment were after the injections of human growth hormone, HGH. Um, and from, for someone with GHD as he had, this is a life changer, allowing him not only to develop a greater height, but also help deal with a variety of internal issues, such as pituitary function, skin and teeth problems, poor vision and lower immunity the use of hdh of course is banned in all sports amateur and professional but there are two things that need to be made clear when uh, messi has been using the thing that has been banned by sports in general both amateur and professionally he didn't use it in adulthood it was merely when he was a kid and also he didn't use it as a performance enhancer he was prescribed it by medical professionals in order to overcome a medical condition the result was that he got a kind of normal sized human body (laughs) I say that he's five foot seven. I think the average for a man is five foot eight or five foot ten. What is the average for a man? Five foot eight, I think it is, isn't it? I I'm I'm not aware. Yes, but I he's five foot seven. Um, We're t- having a brilliant day. Aren't I know we? I'm putting my foot in it so many times. If this is your first one, thanks for this, but I guess it's your last as well. Um, he was only four foot two when he was diagnosed his treatments, so and now he's obviously five foot seven. It's given him a life. I don't think. The HGH has given him the football ability he has. It's just given him a body that is bigger than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, it, I mean, some could probably argue that being of such a short stature as a kid helped develop his game anyway, because being a smaller than average man when he was an adult anyway, just the, the his kind of low centre of gravity made him impossible to play against at times. Calling him a drugs cheat is <laughs> harsh. Um, I think I have muttered that at times when uh, Liverpool have come up against Messi and have been annoyed, but um, that is certainly an estupinian. I'll say that much. It certainly is a massive purvis, <laughs> a big old dirty purvis there from old Sweet Chin Music. Um, I, I disagree with it wholeheartedly. If he's prescribed mm. it as a kid, he took it when he was a kid. He's not taking it anymore. He's only five foot seven. He's not six foot seven. Imagine if he was six foot seven and played like Messi. Then we'd be saying, "Wow, we need to have a sit-down <laughs> conversation about this HGH he took when he was a kid." But the fact he's only five foot seven, you can't inject football talent like that. I think your pervis Esther Pinyan is wide of the mark there. Shame yes, on that. I- Shame on you. The shameful purvis is upon thee. The shameful purvis is upon thee. More shameful purvises <laughs> next week in the new hip-hop and happening segment on the podcast. Welcome to Brighton Hove Albion fullback purvis Esther opinion. What are you talking about? We move on from there to that mailbag, ross at holdandgive.com. Thank you. The levels are getting back up there after a barren week a couple of weeks ago. Keep emailing in. I'll get to yours eventually. To be honest with you, I never pay attention to the names. I just pick them willy-nilly. I pick the best questions. So you might get picked every week. You might get picked no weeks. Just ask good questions. <laughs> Please ask I mean, good I, questions. <laughs> I have no say in the matter. So yes, if, if Ross says it, then I agree. I might give the uh, the honour to Jarkins next week to pick the mailbag oh, questions. God's sake. There we go. That's what we'll do. <laughs> we kick things off with, hi guys, writing this after my Cardiff team absolutely shafted Swansea in the South Wales derby last night, which was a massive release, uh, relief. Sorry, excuse me as we've lost four in a row. It got me thinking about derby games. If there is a derby game on TV that is not related to your teams, will you tune in to watch them? I'll always try and tune in to them as as they are what football is about. Passion. Spelled P-A-S-H-U-N. 
passion. FYI, Ross, we need more live streams so we can work together on predictions again. West Ham Conference League final, if you know, you know this comes from Chris Council, who saw my prediction for the Europa League Conference final, West Ham, against that there, oh my God, Fiorentina, uh, last season, and he put some money on, and it came in. And he won, and he kicked a bit of the profit back to me. So thank you very much, Chris Council, you honourable man. Well, he kicked it back the holding give up the channel. Um, But yes, do you (laughs) tune into uh, derby games that aren't Liverpool-Everton when they're up on the telly? Uh, Not as much anymore, only because I don't watch as much football as I did when I was in my 20s. But I I did used to, there was a, a couple of occasions where me and my friends would meet up and go find uh, a pub in town that was showing the Milan derby we'd watch that occasionally aside from that it's you know your usuals really El Clasico the Manchester Derby North London Derby the kind of the games were in previous years I would have sought out but now it's more of a case of if it's on I'll watch it yeah I always make sure to check out Celtic Rangers I love an old firm I love an old firm ooh 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 firm <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. I love the. I think the the needle is where the cliche book would uh, would point towards. The needle of that game is always because it's obviously you know it's not what it once was back when we were kids with Henrik Larsson and uh, Dado Perso. I'm trying to think of a Rangers player now. Paul Gascoigne. That's better. Um, but it's obviously not that level anymore. But it is still a good football occasion. It's always a raucous atmosphere. Obviously, I think there was no fans at the last one. No way fans at the last one um, at Ibrox. So when they get back in, ooh ooh ooh, I love the uh, the old firm. Even though you enjoy Sunderland not being in the Premier League, do you miss Premier League town away derbies? Nah. No, nah. I, t- I know too many Sunderland fans in my own life. For some reason, even though I'm from Morpeth, which is 15 miles above Newcastle, and Sunderland is below Newcastle, so you'd think there'd be no Sunderland fans in Morpeth because it's above Newcastle. There's a bollock load of them, and I'm friends with some of them, and I hate Derby <laughs> Day. I hope we never play Derby Day again. Because it was horrible as well, because I went to uni in Sunderland, <laughs> and the, la- the the first derby of my time at uni was the one where Ryan Taylor put it over the wall and bent it in and that was the last time we won one and we lost every <laughs> single other one while I was at uni in Sunderland surrounded by Sunderland fans it was only my luck though of course that would only happen in my life uh, we move on good morning diddlers <laughs> coming across from the Cultaholic Wrestling Podcast I'm thoroughly enjoying the Hold and Give pod love Ross as always but really enjoying hearing more and more about the mysterious Jack Atkins who has rarely been seen on Cultaholic Mysterious, I'll take that. Ooh, mysterious Jack. I want to get close to you, Shabba. Uh, currently making my way through the podcast on episode 10. Ross, you mentions Ellis Patton's away days. I enjoy his shirt hunting videos. Me too. Uh, sparking me to ask, what is your favourite football shirt of all time? And which retro shirts do you personally own? And which is your favourite? Thank you for all you do. And much love, former Bolton home midfielder, Stelios Yanakopoulos. Jamie from Lan- uh, from Lancaster, Nathan said Leicester there after saying that name perfect it used to annoy me so much Yankopoulos do you remember certain commentators would go Yankopoulos when it's clearly Yanakopoulos I mean that's that's easy for us to say given our track record of pronouncing (laughs) names on this podcast Leanne Rhymes England's best player for the ladies team I'll never (laughs) live that down but anyway what's your favourite football shirt of all time Uh, well when I saw this question from our good friend uh, Stelios I, I went and got out of my closet the 96-97 Liverpool away shirt, which is my personal favourite Liverpool shirt. Um, I paid a couple of quid for this the other year. Um, <laughs> Non-Liverpool, it's 
it's you know your usuals holland 88 uh napoli 1990 the the mars kit the diego maradona kit because i had a little figure of maradona when i was a kid and i just since that day i want to own that shirt but i'm not going to pay 300 quid for it <laughs> uh fiorentina nintendo 1998 shirt just so i could run around just sh- screaming batty goal <laughs> and uh the brazil 98 away shirt the blue one with the rounded neck Ooh. Always really like that shirt, yeah. Oh, I like the the Jogger Benito version of that one, like oh four sort of time. You know that template when Nike had the the logo yeah. too high. Um, in terms of me, it's uh, it's ninety six, well ninety five, ninety seven Newcastle Grandad collar. It's the obvious mm. answer. I also love the, uh, the sorry the Newcastle kit after that with the the sort of up the middle Adidas once again. I can't wait for Adidas to come back next season, even though they had a mare with certain uh, certain kits this year. I'm thinking of uh, Arsenal's away kit and Manchester United's away kit. But in terms of not Newcastle shirts, obviously all the, the ordinary ones are there. But if I'll send you this on uh, on uh, on Slack quite, quickly, Jan, so you look at it. Leon, I think it's the 10-11 season away kit. I remember buying this of classic football shirts many moons ago, and it is absolutely stupendous. It's like a carpet in a casino. I'll put a picture of it on the podcast. I'll remind myself to do so right now. But uh, it's an unbelievable shirt. My slack has been very slow, so I'll come back to that in a second when it loads up. Uh, There was a shirt a couple of seasons ago that I'm gutted I didn't get a hold of at the time, and now it goes for a little more than I'm willing to spend. Um, Here we go, Ross Tuttle. Here we go. Load. Come on, load. Come on, load. Ooh, ooh, yeah, that is a... uh, Casino carpet is absolutely bang on the money there. That's lovely. It's bloody... Glorious, isn't it? There's a picture of me and Olivier Bernard when I'm wearing that shirt. I'll put it on the podcast now. Ha! <laughs> Roll the VT. Um, the the one I'm good that I didn't get at the time. Uh, I was living in Toronto, so it was just it was everywhere in Toronto because Drake had it. But it was the 2015 Juventus pink away shirt. Oh, it the was a star. Yeah. No, the um, Jeep has the black and white across the middle. And the baby. Oh, absolutely gorgeous shirt and it was one of those that every time I walked past the sports shop and saw it I was like I'll pop in and get that I'll pop in and get and then before you know I didn't do it and like I said it goes for more than I'm willing to spend I spend a lot of money on my clothes but I don't really wear football shirts as much so I'd get battered if I did it but that's a cruel lesson you learn as a football fan when it comes to football shirts because I remember that there was many years where I didn't buy a Newcastle shirt and it was the year we came back up in 2017 we had a third kit which was all black it was Puma it had like gold trim on everything because it was like the 125th anniversary of the club or something like that and I was like yeah I really like that shirt but I'm going to wait until it like you know gets a bit reduced towards the end of the season because I don't want to pay I don't know what it would have been back in 2017, 60, 70 quid. I don't think it would have been 70 yeah. quid, but 60 quid, let's say, for a, a brand new football shirt. Then you wait and you wait and you wait. Then it comes down and you go to buy it and they don't have your size. And that's a, a horrible lesson to learn as a football fan. You've just got to get in there early. It'll cost a lot. It'll feel a bit harsh at the time on your bank account, but in the long run, it'll be worth it. Yeah, because I, I know that you're a very... Well, anyway, in your past, you're a very ardent collector of football shirts. I'm... I'm sure, was it you and Aiden saying that between you at one point you had pretty much every Newcastle shirt of the last 30 years? Yeah, next time I go and see me mum, I'll do a little video of all my Newcastle shirts. I've got them in the wardrobe at my mum's because I've, I've not got the room here, <laughs> to be honest with you. Let me see how many Newcastle shirts I've got in my closet right now. I don't think I've got too many, just because of uh, because of space issues. Talk amongst yourself, Jarkins. So, as we can see now, Ross Tweddle is going to his 
He's cleaning out his closet like Eminem once did, but Eminem didn't have a uh, collection of Newcastle United football shirts for him throughout the years. But Ross Tweddle does. Let's see what he unearths when he comes back. I'm back, everybody. So they're all... <laughs> that was perfect, that. I think there's some under the bed, but in terms of what's in the closet and gets worn by me body when I go to the matches and whatnot, we have this rascal thing, which is the uh, the training shirt from... They've tried to recreate what we did in the 90s of Castore, and I thought it was all right, so I went and picked one up. Then we go on to a Brucey bargain. I got towards the end of last season at the uh, the club shop. It was It's one of the legit... You know, when you get the real player versions... Oh, yeah. But they were selling them up for 30 quid, and I'd just been on the stadium tour with a 10% discount as well. So, like, I'll get myself one of them. I saved myself £3 off the 30. That's in there. Then we have this in tribute <laughs> to, to Jacob Murphy, my favourite Newcastle player. The back page in Newcastle upon time sells this. I got it for my birthday. Idolised in Newcastle is absolutely spot on. I'm classifying that as a football shirt. It turns out I've got more than I thought, Jackins. Two more to go. Then we've got straight from DH Gate with the. Uh, the glittery sticker sponsor, sorry, the glittery sticker uh, Newcastle badge. It's, it looks legit, doesn't it? It's a very good it example. Really does. It looks yeah. very good example. It's got the te- I don't know if it's picking up on camera, but the textured sort of like ribbed feel of the football shirt. There you go. Yeah, that's picking up. It's up there. So there you go. That's in there. Ten pound or ten dollars that cost. And then on top of that, <laughs> I went and so oh traded in my uh, my iMac, not my iMac, my uh, MacBook from uh, 2014. I went to CEX. I went, funny story, went to the Apple store. They're like, we'll give you 40 quid. But he goes, you might as well go to CEX, but I reckon you'll get more there. I was like, all right, I'll go and try my aunt. 140 quid I got. Apple store offered 40 quid. So there's, a t- there's a tip for you. If you've got an old i something device to trade in, go to CEX. And I got me 140 quid and just past CEX in the Metro Centre. If you go around into the Red Mall, is the Castore shop. And I caved. I've got a Saudi Arabia Newcastle shirt. But I like the design. I don't like it's the colour. It's a nice shirt. I don't like it's the, a nice shirt. I don't like the colour. I get the reservations about the colour, but I got one. Oh, it's on the floor. I got one because it was a rush of blood. <laughs> I had a fresh 140 quid in my wallet. I went and spent that. But there you go. That's all my Newcastle shirts in, in, the, in the closet down there. There's a couple of England shirts as well, but yeah, there we go. I've got more than how I thought. Many, how many do you estimate you got at your mum's then? 40 to 50. Bloody hell. <laughs> and I reckon I've got three or four under the bed as well here. It's a terrible, terrible addiction. And I know that you've sold some uh, high-ticket items across Depop in these last few years as well. Yes, you can follow me, Depop Shop. If you go to my Instagram, is it on there? I don't know, it's called Football Shirts and Other Things on Depop. That's my name. <laughs> Let me see if you can search that. Football Shirts and Other Things, Depop. If you type it on Google, oh, no, you just get football shirt. You can't search specific stuff. But that's what the shop's called anyway if you come across it. There is a couple of shirts left on there from my collection. If you want to go and buy one, I'm open to offers. Anyway, we move on in the mailbag. Hello, fellas. <laughs> I support a club in Mexico called Tigres uh, that before 2011 didn't win anything since 1982. Now, in the last 12 years, they win a lot. And I have to admit that a lot of... A lot of that is for being one of the richest teams in the league. Someone's got to be. Someone's got to be the richest team in the league. Haven't the Newcastle? Um, there have been a lot of transfers that I would never have imagined as a young fan, especially two Frenchmen. One is now the club's biggest goal scorer, I guess the highest goal scorer, and the other one being ex-Marseille and Newcastle United player, Florian Torvan, that in 2021 technically was a world champion and who had a remarkable career ascendance after he left Newcastle. That Torvan who was playing for Marseille 
never looked like it existed at Newcastle. It was a fish up a tree at Newcastle. But anyway, my question would be, <laughs> has there ever been a transfer where you feel like you didn't know how your team pulled it out? If you don't know how your team pulled off the signing, uh, even if it didn't work out in the end. Up the hold and give. And that's from Jose in Mexico. You've got better English than me, Jose. Up the Jose. Um, so a transfer Liverpool have made that you didn't, well, you didn't think was possible. Well, it's... You, but, you're going to call this cop-out answer, but uh, Jürgen Klopp. Mm. Honestly, that was one for days that me and my mates were just like, nah, how, how have we done this? We went from, you know, a, a Brendan Rodgers who took us as far as we did, you know, narrowly missing out on the league and stuff like that. But getting Jürgen Klopp, we were just like, nah, this this, this isn't happening. This is ridiculous. Um, in terms of players... Especially on the club, we don't often go for the finished product. We spend a lot of money, as we've seen, but usually that comes from player sales. And we either go for players playing at lower table teams or young prospects. So in terms of a big marquee signing, only Tiago really comes to mind. Yeah. Where that was one where we were all very excited because we were like, oh, are you kidding? Um, obviously, he's been very injured since he's been at us, but when he plays, he's still absolutely class. Yeah, obviously, as a Newcastle fan, things are changing very recently for us in terms of the calibre of player. We're bringing in Tonali, I guess, fits into this category of how the hell did we get him? Um, but the one that spru- uh, sprung to mind straight away, it ended terribly, obviously, and it was terrible for most of it throughout as well. But Michael Owen, you got to think when Newcastle were in 2005, when he signed yes, would finished fourth, third, fifth, the season before he arrived, we finished 14th under Graham Souness, and then he came, and he came from Real Madrid. He came a number of years, well, two or three years after his time at Liverpool, where he won the Ballon d'Or. He was Harry Kane stature, but I'd argue a bit higher, just to compare it to someone of the modern day. I think he was higher stature than Harry Kane is now. How Newcastle got him, obviously, has come out since that Liverpool didn't want to pay as much as Newcastle did, and that's why he went to Newcastle, not Liverpool. Um, so, yeah, still, it was a... I, I, I didn't get it. The prospect of him and Shearer being the front line for a season was mouth roaring at the time. It didn't really pan out the way everyone thought it would do, though, after he got uh, his, well, his ankle shattered by big Paul Robinson on, I think it was New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, something like that, away to Spurs. But yeah, how Newcastle signed Michael Owen back then, I've got no idea. Yeah, because how old was he at the time? About 25, 26 as well. Prime, prime Michael Owen. It lo- we, you thought it was prime, but the injuries were mounting up already, I think, as well. Yeah, because even though you know everyone can't stand Michael Owen, it's easy to take the piss. At his pomp, Michael Owen was unbelievable, incredible player, Pace, absolutely incredible player, finishing. He had everything. Yeah, he was yeah, the he a, a, the golden boy of the English game. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful partnership with Emil Ivanhoe as well. Let's not, uh, let's not forget I that. Beg, I beg your pardon, Emil what? Ivanhoe Heskey. That's his name, Ivanhoe. I'm sure, yeah. I've never heard that name in my life, Ivanhoe. How you Ivanhoe. S- how are you spelling Emil. that? <laughs> I-V-A-N-H-O-E. Emil William Ivanhoe Heskey. <laughs> Ivanhoe. <laughs> Ivanhoe, yeah. Incredible, but his partnership with Emil was nice. <laughs> But yeah, um, as soon as you were saying this then, and it was going on to your answer, for me, when I, I thought of Newcastle, I was like, it's, it's got to be Owen. Because everyone thought that would work out. Like you said, it's the, oh, the kind of passing of the torch from uh, Alan Shearer, who was still, you know, still Alan Shearer, but entering 
one eye on the twilight of his career. And then, like you said, on paper, a Michael Owen who is at his prime, it, it looked like it couldn't fail, but unfortunately it did. Yeah, he, I think he got seven in his first 11, so it got off to a good start. But then, he, as I say, when Paul Robinson went over his ankle and oh, went around Christmas time of 2005, then it just it never got back to where it was. And then he was an arsehole. He was very selfish in the dying embers of his time at Newcastle, but I guess you can see why certain players are like that who are as injured as Mike Lone was for the two or three years previous when he's looking for yeah. a new club in the summer. But there we go. That was the Roberto Mail Baggio. Thank you for your submissions. Ross at holdinggive.com. If you want to get him in there, you can see the big questions already being answered during the podcast. We'll decide what that is after the fact, Jackins. We'll wrap things up in a professional <laughs> manner for the first time ever on the Hold and Give Football Podcast. If this was your first one, after my little appearance on Radio Newcastle yesterday, thank you very much, Tom Campbell. If you've seen the little plugs on Cultaholic, thank you very much, Tom Campbell again for prodding me to do it because I keep forgetting to do it Jack Atkins but there you go Tom's the pro I'm a mere amateur so there we go I've learned that at the end of the podcast any closing remarks before we go away for another week uh, this this has been one of our more chaotic episodes um, but I think it will hopefully be an entertaining listen but surely the uh, the fans will let us know yes and we have schedule news as well this is what we're gonna I'm gonna try and stick to it's still very much an own time thing apart from this podcast which has wonderfully been afforded as, as part of our working days but on a Wednesday, the Hole and Give Football podcast will be out every single Wednesday. That's been established. That's fine. Every Thursday, myself and Kayla will be doing some fantasy uh, football warfare, seeing how much of an arse we make as fantasy football each and every week as we ply our trade near the bottom of the Cultaholic Office Fantasy League. Then on a Friday, we've got the Fun Club, which started last week. We'll be having an episode every single week with a rotating cast of myself, Owen Mawson, Joel Holland and Dan Heppel playing those sort of games you play down the pub with your pals, but we'll stick them on YouTube, although this Friday's episode is not going to be that sort of game you play with your pals because there's technology involved. Ooh, 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 ooh how ooh. exciting. We'll have FIFA streams now every Sunday because I've finally got this setup working at home and I don't want to go to the office at 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, so that'll be at 9 o'clock BST slash GMT when the clocks change every single Sunday. The live streams are back and kicking. We had Newcastle's live uh, game live stream reactions yesterday, the North London Derby is Sunday's game. We'll try and do a game every single game week in the Champions League and in the Premier League. And that's it. We'll try and keep to that every single week. Maybe the odd tier list here and there. Maybe the odd discussion video here and there. Maybe the odd Clive F saucy saxophone solo. But that's the schedule we're going to try and keep to for the foreseeable. And hopefully the holding gift will grow. Up the schedule. Up the schedule. I've been Ross joined by Jack and we'll see you next week. <laughs>